0: If you'd like to watch our live stream services or learn more about our congregation, I invite you to visit us at centralsynagogue.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon.
1: Last week, I was a part of a remarkable training session. With our partners at EMI New York, we hosted a full day training for faith leaders on how to change the narrative about mass incarceration. There were pastors and rabbis and representatives of the Muslim community. There were activists who had spent their whole professional lives serving people who were coming home from jail and prison. The collective wisdom and expertise in that room was incredible. But Tamika Bell from Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta asked us a question that had us stumped. What would it feel like, she asked, to live in a world without mass incarceration? Being a Jew and a former lawyer, I, of course, had some follow-up questions. In this hypothetical, I asked, had we solved the mental health crisis? Tamika smiled at me kindly and said, I'm asking you to imagine. Put aside all of the questions about how we will get there. What would it feel like to live in a world without mass incarceration? What would it feel like if we won? I wasn't the only troublemaker. How could we focus on imagining when there was so much work to do? For some, imagining a different world only exacerbated the pain of living in this one. And others had been so shaped by the brutality of our system that they said they couldn't imagine at all. But Tamika challenged us. How were we going to convince people to build a world of greater justice and compassion if we couldn't even imagine it for ourselves? We finally came around, and let me tell you, the picture we painted together was beautiful. A land where everyone had enough, where we cared for one another, and where no one had to be afraid their loved ones would leave the house and never come home. A land of milk and honey. In this week's Torah portion, God tells Moses to send scouts to survey their promised land. And when the scouts return 40 days later, they report that the land is beautiful and full of bounty. However, they report that it is populated by powerful giants, and that attempting to fight them would lead to certain doom. Two of the scouts, Caleb and Joshua, try to change the narrative. The land that we traversed and scouted, they say, is an exceedingly good land. If pleased with us, Adonai will bring us into that land, a land that flows with milk and honey, and give it to us. Imagine, they suggest, what it would be like to win, to inherit the land, to be free. But the people whose fears have been stoked by reports of giants and whose souls have been crushed by years of slavery and trauma can't take this in. Like those of us at last week's training, they can only offer objections. Why is God taking us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be carried away. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt. God is not pleased. As punishment for their resistance, God says that none of this generation except for Caleb and Joshua will be allowed to live to see the promised land. The rest of the people will wander in the wilderness for the rest of their lives. And even worse, their children will wander too, waiting for the previous generation to die out before they can move forward and claim their inheritance. When I read the story this year, my heart was with those ten fearful scouts. Because looking out at the state of our world and our country, I am very afraid. Between the impending Supreme Court abortion decision, the school shooting in Texas, the threat to voting rights, I look out at this exceedingly good land we have inherited, and I am frozen in fear. Luckily, this week, I had a chance to be on a retreat with Rabbi Dr. Joe Sklute. Some of you may know his parents, who usually sit right over there. Rabbi Sklute is an historian, and he said that when he looks back at history, there have been so many times when people thought the world was ending, but then it didn't. He said he found hope in that, in the possibility that there is an alternative path that leads us, if not toward a promised land exactly, then at least to a future where we are less certain of defeat. Like Tamika Bell, Rabbi Skloot was nudging us to leave a little space for imagination. What would it feel like to live in a future better than the one that I fear? if my kids were safe at school and on the subway, if our planet's future were secure, if every vote counted. If I can't even imagine that, how will I convince anyone it's worth fighting for? If we can't imagine a better world, then our children will be doomed to wander with us in this wilderness until we die and they can take charge. And neither America nor the planet can wait that long. All week I've been trying to figure out what the scouts did to deserve such punishment. Surely it can't be fear. We're all afraid sometimes. God made us that way. Our fear wakes us up, alerts us to danger, helps us to prepare to act. Perhaps, instead, the sin of the scouts was certainty, an unwillingness to allow for the possibility that there was an alternative ending to their story. As I mentioned in our morning meditation this week, the unpronounceable four-letter name of God is a conjugation of the Hebrew verb to be. And one way of understanding this is that God's name is becoming. We encounter God's power when we acknowledge that nothing is certain. The world is always still becoming, and we have been given the power to imagine and speak and act it into being. We've seen the power that can come from this kind of imagination. On the eve of Juneteenth and in the middle of Pride Month, We realized that slavery would not have ended in this country if enslaved people were not able to imagine what it would be like to be free. And we wouldn't have marriage equality without LGBTQ folks who could imagine standing on the steps of City Hall, license in hand, ready to join their life to that of their beloved. It was only because these visionaries had the courage to imagine and could share the vision of their promised land that we were, they were able to guide us and our country toward it. That's the way prophets work. They see the brokenness of the world and then they offer a vision of possibility. I'll leave you with Tamika Bell's question. Pick something you are afraid of right now Something that has you in fight-or-flight mode. Something that feels so giant and immovable that you can't see a way around it. What would it feel like if it was gone? How would it feel in your body? How would it change how you would spend your time How would it change what your home, or your neighborhood, or your city looked like? Who might you share that vision with? How might you be a prophet for that vision, having the courage to imagine a land of promise so that we can all find our way together?
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of Central Synagogue's podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you're in the loop on future episodes. And please follow us on social media or watch our live stream at centralsynagogue.org, our Facebook page, or on national cable at the Jewish Broadcasting Service. Thanks again for joining us.